You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. want to remind you before we begin that there is a website that is associated with this podcast. It's wealthformula.com. You can find all sorts of free stuff there. Uh, you can find uh, free books, free uh, free access to things like the Investor Club with Deal Flow, and also if you are interested, you'll find some information on our Wealth Formula Network and our course called Your Roadmap to Real Wealth. All things that you can check out by simply going to wealthformula.com. Now. Today, I am going to talk a little bit about happiness. Talk about happiness. I got to tell you one thing, a little story before we begin, uh, and that is that last weekend, my wife uh, got me a pretty cool present. I went to Las Vegas with her. Uh, It's unusual for us to kind of go and and leave the kids behind because we usually drag them everywhere we go, but I went to Vegas because... Uh, she uh, realized that I really like Ferraris, and even though she doesn't like them, she wanted me to have an opportunity to drive them really fast. So uh, she got me these cool tickets to um, drive a Ferrari, and actually it was supposed to be a Ferrari and Lamborghini, but I couldn't really fit in the Lamborghini. So uh, I got to drive 10 laps on a track on a Ferrari 488 GTB with a instructor at my side. So I didn't, uh, you know, to, to minimize the possibility of hurting myself significantly. But during that ride, I got all the way up to about 145 miles per hour, man, that was cool. I would highly recommend it. It wasn't very expensive either. It was just a few hundred bucks. And I'm starting to think that maybe we ought to have like some sort of wealth formula meetup. And, uh, at some point, that is surrounding a, a you know some kind of an event where we can potentially get some people out of track or something. It could be really fun. Anyway, um, you know, I called uh, happiness sort of the ultimate asset, right? I mean, it's not something we think of as an asset, but it really is, right? It's really what we're ultimately everyone is after, you know. And uh, the question is, how do you get there? And sometimes people think, gosh, if I could only retire. And I will tell you when it comes to that line of thinking, be careful what you wish for, lest it come true. Now, that is a saying from Aesop's Fobbles, uh, circa 260, 260 BC. Uh, it is not made up by a country singer, as some might think. Either way, it is a powerful statement when it comes to uh, financial wealth and when you think about retirement. You see, I talked to hard working high paid professionals every day as part of our investor club, which by the way, you should join uh, if you're an accredited investor and you want to see some deal flow, want to see some real estate opportunities that are highly curated and uh, interesting at wealthformula.com. But anyway, I talk to people uh, almost every day related to some kind of investments. And a lot of people have this aspiration to retire and you know, they believe, and for good reason, I think that they would be much happier if they could make enough money to just quit their job. But the question is, I have to ask, and maybe you need to ask yourself, is is that really true? 
because it actually may be more complicated than you think. As you may know, I can speak from some level of experience on this because I sort of uh, quit my, I, I don't know if I would call it a job because I was self-employed, but I quit uh, practicing as a surgeon almost three years ago. Um, I would not call myself retired because I'm still doing stuff, but I am most certainly retired from medicine. Uh, I don't do any kind of medical stuff uh, at all. I own a medical business. That's as close as I get to get to medicine anymore. I don't practice. But, you know, and I often get the question, do you miss it? Well, I have to say that I rarely think about you know, being in the hospital and operating and things like that. So the answer is no. However, I do miss certain sensations associated with that, you know, that period in my life. So, you know, like things like I miss doing things with my hands. That's probably one of the bigger things that I miss. I don't think about operating anymore, but I do miss the sensation of being completely absorbed in a physical task and trying to do it perfectly right? There's a certain feeling you get when you do that. I remember the feeling of being lost in my own world, you know, completely detached from the other, any other concerns in life. As a resident, that was particularly good because they couldn't get you. Your pager would go off and they couldn't make you get it. The nurse would have to answer the pager and you'd be free. So, so I have some fond memories of sort of that as being a release from reality. And also, the only other time I really felt like that, I have to say, being sort of lost in activity was when I was uh, playing ice hockey uh, when I was a young person, right? When I, was in, uh, when I was a little kid and all the way out through high school and some college. In addition, I miss having a well-defined routine that, I, that not only a routine, right? I mean, because anybody can write down stuff, but a routine that I can't just cancel on a whim. You see, there is a certain comfort in the monotony of a strict schedule and, frankly, being needed that is really hard to appreciate until it's lost. And I would have never thought I was, you know, going to say that. But, you know, that's, that's true. It's true. I kind of miss monotony uh, of a routine. It's, it's a weird thing to say, but it's true. And you know what else I miss? I miss interacting with people in a work setting, you know, there's a certain camaraderie that uh, you start to get with some of the people that, you know, that, that you work with, that people work for you, whatever. You know, I used to go into the office every morning, you know, joke around with people, bond with people. These days, I spend most of my days working, you know, by myself, frankly. And when I do speak to others, it's usually over the phone and it's usually all business. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want that old medical life back anymore. I really don't. I really prefer what I've got now. However, I am trying uh, to figure out how to, uh, I guess, say, have my cake and eat it too. In other words, you know, is there a way to get that feeling of flow? That's what that being lost in work sensation is called. Is there a way to get that feeling of flow back? Is there a way to get that routine back? And how about that community um, because all of these elements are elements that I think were, um, you know, things that can make, make you happy, make me happy. And if you recognize that you're missing some of these things in your life, that's great news because you can actively do something about it and improve your sense of wellness by actually, you know, making a correction or making, making some changes. You know, that's what I want to do for myself, ultimately. Right now, though, I am uh, in sort of a data collection phase. 
I know some of you know this. I've, I've discussed this with a few folks. Um, listen, I'm a scientist at heart, right? So I need to approach things the same way to research them and to understand them. I need to define, in this case of happiness, at a physiological level, what exactly happiness is. And why is that important to me? Why is it important for me to understand if, you know, if it's just a function of dopamine and serotonin or uh, that results in certain electrical activities in various parts of the brain? Why is that important? Because if there is some sort of physiologic causal you know, relationship between this thing that we call happiness, there has to be a way to alter that activity and understand how to do it in a reproducible fashion. That's the way I think. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's, uh, that's the way I think. Uh, but when I uh, learn this stuff a little bit better and I understand it, I will certainly share that with you. But in the meantime, I'm relying on the experts in the field to help me establish sort of a larger framework for this thing that we call happiness. After all, What's all this money we are making for anyway, right? What's the point of, of you know, creating all of the wealth, the financial wealth? You know, listen, money, people say money can't, can't buy happiness. I don't agree with that. I think money can buy happiness to a certain extent, and I think that um, science actually has evidence for that. But it can't take you to that next level of, you know, feeling a lot more joy than you might currently feel that I think a lot of people long for. And I will also say that I have recently come to a realization that this is not a simple task, right? Um, to get to that next level of holistic wealth, uh, holistic wealth, a.k.a. happiness, is not easy. It's going to require, you know, the same level of education and diligence as it required to become financially wealthy. I mean, think about it. That's a big deal, right? And we don't take it very seriously. Most people don't. I mean, I certainly don't. This idea of really learning about becoming educated and what it means to feel happy and trying to work towards it. It seems like a novel concept in a way. It's something that, you know, only if you're like a frou-frou wellness guru, are you really into that? Well, why? Why shouldn't all of us kind of be thinking that way? Anyway, that's my take on it. Um, anyway, learning about it and being able to implement the things in your life that will trigger this happiness is something that I'm really interested in. That's what I need to do. And I hope that you will be inspired to join me over the next year or two as we, you know, we're going to start to put some further emphasis on this topic of what's known as positive psychology into the wealth formula milieu. That's not to say we're turning into a, you know, a wellness show instead of a personal finance show, but it's all part and parcel, folks. I mean, listen, what's the point of being, you know, wealthy and retiring if you're going to, you know, not not feel the the joy that you can. I mean, so so that's that's why we're doing this. And if you want to start working on this stuff in a meaningful way, a good way to start is to listen to my interview uh, with today's guest, Joel Wade, who is in the field of uh, positive psychology himself. When we come back, uh, we're going to hear what all this happiness business is all about. 
Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Dr. Joel F. Wade, PhD. Joel began working with uh, clients in 1980 uh, as a, a marriage and family therapist. He's also taught at the graduate level and serves uh, as a life coach for his clients. As a life coach, Joel helps clients to reach their goals in the service of creating a truly wonderful life, whatever the specific realities of their life might be. Joel, welcome to the program. Thanks, Chuck. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you too. Um, now, I, I know you uh, you went to UC Santa Barbara. Uh, my uh, Where I live right now is uh, obviously uh, nearby there. Uh, yeah. You were a water polo player. How'd you get into the business of happiness? So, so I, I uh, first got inspired to go into this work by uh, Nathaniel Brandon and his wife Devers, 1979, 80, right around then. And I'd read his stuff and I went to a workshop. I knew exactly what I wanted to do, which is a wonderful thing to yeah. happen. Not, not everyone gets to know what they want to do. And their approach was very different from what I understood psychology to be because they were focusing on what makes for a good life. Mm -hmm. Whereas most psychology for most of the, you know, it's history is focused on how do you treat these symptoms? Mm -hmm. And so that got me started originally. And then when Marty Seligman became APA president and had as his theme flourishing and uh, what became the positive branch of psychology, um, I felt like I was home. That's always been where I've come from. Because while we suffer with symptoms, you know, we can have depression or anxiety or any number of different things. The big picture and trying to have a life that works, those symptoms get smaller in comparison. Whereas if you're focusing just on the symptom, it's easier to deal with the problems of life too. Right, right. So um, let's, let's kind of talk about this idea of positive psychology, which is really focused on it's almost like preventative psychology, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the analogy here to to medicine, right? Just rather mm -hmm. than yeah, uh, rather than just reacting to symptoms, you're actually getting in there and you know you're 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 taking a role in 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 sort of defining uh, your well your well being. Um, yeah, I want to start out by um, just making a distinction because when you do this kind of work, obviously you have to have some baseline. And that baseline in this case is, okay, well, how do, how do we define some of these terms that we're after, like happiness and joy and well-being? And, and so in your work, how do you even start um, you know, defining that so that if you want to attempt to achieve that, you know where, what it is that you're trying to go for? Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, we can feel a, a happy moment by in a lot of different ways. I mean, something good happening, getting what you want. Uh, you could even, I mean, you could take a drug or something and feel happy for the moment, but then have lots of negative downsides later. So uh, my definition of happiness that I find useful is Aristotle's definition, which he would call eudaimonia, which has more to do with being happy about your life. Uh, in general. So, because life has lots of vicissitudes, you can, we all have tragedies and loss and, and hard times and, and, and good times and, and wonderful things that happen. There's that we're organic. We're not uh, machines that just keep a steady state. 
So what's useful is to find a way of being where even when things are hard, even when things are challenging, you still can feel good about yourself and about your life. And then when, when things are going well and you, you get to enjoy the, the love or the joy or the success or the, the, the elation, you can really take it in and really savor it. Um, so the principles that I write about and talk about and work with people about are more long-term. They're more about how are you going to feel tomorrow if you do this today. Right. So, so do you, do you draw a distinction between, you know, some of these terms? Like when you say, are you happy? I mean, do you feel joy? I mean, again, I guess I'm just going back to this idea. I I guess we all kind of have this sense of, you know, what those terms mean, but is, is it just that it's just hard to define and we just kind of have to roll with it? Or, I mean, is there at least clinically a way that you define those things? No, I think, I think it's possible to define joy. I mean, that's a, that's a feeling that you, you have when things are going well or, or when something's delightful. And we all know joy when we feel it. And there are, there are some, uh, some folks that define a certain amount of positive emotions like joy, love, elevation, uh, you know, uh, you know, contentment, we can define these, these different emotions. Uh, but our, for me, our, our emotional life has so much more to do with the future than most of us think. Uh, in fact, uh, there's a wonderful book by Marty Seligman and Roy Baumeister and, and, and two other authors, uh, Homo Prospectus, where they really uh, have gone deep into how our emotions focus us towards problem solving in the future. We usually think, oh, I'm angry because somebody did something, or I'm sad because I lost something, or I'm happy because I got something. But more often than not, it's, it's I'm angry because I don't want this to happen again. Mm-hmm. And so what action can I take to prevent this from happening again? And about 85% of our emotional life is actually more geared toward the future. I guess the question in my mind is, is that a good thing? Because um, a good thing or a bad thing? Because, you know, a lot of what, um, you know, I think especially in today's society and, you know, constantly being on social media or, you know, looking ahead and not necessarily having as much social network around us, um, it, it seems to me that we're increasingly living somewhere else rather than the mm. present. Yeah. And that's well, not probably I, I a very say, good thing. <laughs> I would say with social media and, and our phones and our little boxes that we get in, that's really more around the present because it, it affects our whole dopamine system mm. and it's addictive. And so when, we draw, when we're drawn to check our email or check our text, or, 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 that's all for that momentary hit of dopamine. Mm-hmm. Almost all of it is. So it actually takes us away from our uh, deeper sense of satisfaction that we get from going, oh, I'd like to visit my friend. 
or, or I'd like to take a walk on the beach with my wife or I'd like to spend some time with my kids. What would be fun to do? Right. Um, where we're connecting that's, that's present into the future. Whereas our gadgets are about right now, this moment. Right. Right. So, um, you know, you mentioned the dopamine hit and, you know, as, a uh, as I mentioned to you before, I'm, I'm a physician. Uh, I was a biochemistry mm-hmm. major. Uh, I'm a mm-hmm. former neurosurgeon. Uh, so I have, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of these <laughs> interests in, in the brain in general. Um, and fundamentally, when I think of happiness, uh, I've been thinking about this a lot late, lately. And I wonder, you know, is this sensation uh, a psychological phenomena? Um uh, mm. Or is it a physiologic phenomena? And I would argue that I think it is a physiological uh, phenomena, but I don't know which comes first, the uh-huh. psychology or the biology. What, what are your when, thoughts when on that? You, Pardon me? And, and when you talk about that, what is it that you're referring to? Well, the, the feeling in the moment or? Well, so to me, happiness or the feeling of joy is ultimately, you know, I look at it as a, you know, from the physiology of it, there's something going on mm-hmm. chemically. And you mentioned mm-hmm. the dopamine, uh, you know, hit. Yeah. But I do think that yeah. there, there is a sense of, and again, I'm the amateur psychologist here. So, but mm-hmm. I get the sense that some people um, are born with uh, different happiness thermostats, right? Where yes. they may have a range. They're born in a range. Um, My wife is a very inherently a very happy person. She's always smiling. She gets up in the morning. She's, you know, uh, I don't know what's going on. It's like she's on a drug or something, right? Whereas I tend to be a little bit more brooding. And I've always been Mm -hmm. that way. And I see my 10-year-old daughter and she's kind of like me. And Uh she has no reason to be, but she is. And so Uh to me, that is further uh, further sort of hits that idea that if we start with this idea that this is a fundamental physiological phenomena, it gives us potentially a a, uh, a better window in which to 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 examine what we can do about it. Yeah, and so I think I think that said, the answer to your question is yes. <laughs> it's it, it it is it's both physiological and psycho, psychological in, in that we do have a set point we do have a set range and but with our minds and with with our habits and our practices that we develop we can aim ourselves towards more the top of our range rather than being stuck towards the bottom of our mm-hmm. range and so that's really what we're working with here and is we all come into the world with certain temperaments and, and some people are very outgoing and you can see that when they're, when they're babies and some people are just, they don't like novelty as much. And you can see that as, as an infant, they, they're the ones that when a stranger comes into the room, they kind of snuggle into mom. Yeah. Whereas other kids, Early on, a stranger comes in the room and they go, oh, what's that? That could be good. So we, we have these temperaments and these set ranges. And so then it's a matter of, okay, given that, just like any other capacity that we have biologically, 
how do we make the most of it? Mm-hmm. So that that's one reason why you know, a big problem with like Facebook and social media is we have these comparisons with everybody else. And so if we're not, you know, the happiest or the most successful or something, it's easy to feel like, well, we're not anything. We haven't done anything. Whereas we each have our own personal range. And the mission to me is given who you are, your circumstances and everything, how do you make the most of that? How do you make your best life out of that? Yeah. Do you think, do you think there are tools? Um, and I'm sure you deal with these mm-hmm. things in your coaching, et cetera. Some of the, uh, you know, research behind um, mindfulness, meditation, things mm-hmm. like that can allow you to sort of to change the range of your thermostat. Let's put it that way to, to mm-hmm. make it so that you can achieve greater fulfillment or happiness uh, and, and by, you know, essentially training your brain, do you, do you feel like in psychology, yeah. there is some, any evidence of that, that you can do that? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. There, I, there's no question about that. I mean, that's, that's what my work is about, mm-hmm. um, is there's a lot of very practical things. For example, if, if you wanted to feel a moment of joy the most effective thing you could do is do something kind for somebody else. And I can almost guarantee you, if you do something kind for something, somebody else, you're going to feel good. You can, you're going to have this, this feeling that's, that's really pretty wonderful mm-hmm. it, and it's immediate and it's, it's uh, very predictable. Um, if you want to feel uh, happier in general, uh, some of the things we we've looked into around gratitude. So thinking about three good things that happen at the end of each day and reflecting on those, uh, thinking of somebody you're unambiguously grateful for and writing them a letter and bring it to them and reading it to them. You can have about three months of a higher sense of well being from doing that. Uh, so there are some very specific, tangible things that you can do that can boost your overall level of well-being and happiness. What um, do you, in your practice, what do you see the role of um, meditation, if any? Is this part of what your uh, is this something that you think is um, you know uh, very important? Maybe not for everybody. What's your take on it? Yeah, I, I think it's very important. There's there's a lot of great research, particularly on the mindfulness. And Barbara Fredrickson has done some work around the loving kindness meditation, and showing that if you practice that for six to seven weeks regularly, it's it gives a significant boost to well being that lasts. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very very useful. One of the things that I teach people to do because not everybody's going to sit for an hour or even 15 minutes, but even just slowing and deepening your breathing for about two minutes and have a positive effect, especially if you, if you tend to be stressed out and anxious a lot, that can really kind of settle you more into your higher brain function and, and part of our nervous system that's more calming, more connecting, um, and it just takes a couple of minutes so, and it's not complicated. 
Another concept that, you know, I, I actually think is interesting because of its uh, relationship with uh, the idea of mindfulness is flow. And mm, yeah. I've heard you talking about this um, and I've heard, you know, others in the past and I've always kind of connected this with mindfulness in a way. Can you, for our audience, maybe just define the idea of flow, you know, and significance and, you know, how it might relate to a sense of well-being or happiness? Yeah. So flow is the, the state of total engagement and absorption in, in work or play. Uh, so it's that state where you, you get in and you don't notice time going by. You're not particularly noticing what you feel or, or what you sense. You're just all in with what you're doing. Um, and it's, it happens to be the state of mind where most of us feel the happiest. And Mihai uh, Cheek Sent Me High did some wonderful research on this. And one of the things that he found is, is that what flow does is in, increases our complexity and it organizes our mind. So, I mean, you can be in flow watching TV because you're absorbed in it, but it doesn't challenge you. It doesn't increase your complexity. So you don't have a sense of satisfaction afterwards. But if you have something that where you have high skills and the challenge is high, so you have to stretch your skills to meet that challenge. Then when you're in flow with that afterwards, it's one of the best feelings you can have because, because you've organized your mind at a higher level from doing it. You're different from having done that in a way that um, maybe something with a low challenge wouldn't do, or if you're distracted and not, not absorbed in what you're doing. To me, there is a little bit of a parallel in there with, you know, what, what we're trying to accomplish with mindfulness, right? Which is just being in the present, right? Mm -hmm. Do you, do you, I don't know if there's any, you know, and of course I'm always thinking about the, you know, the, the physiology of this, but I wonder if there's any studies showing, you know, any relationship between, you know, the brain centers for flow and those that were activated during mindfulness. Yeah, I'm, I'm not familiar with any, but I wouldn't be surprised if there are. The, the difference, mindfulness, you're watching your own thoughts and emotions and, and you're observing them. Um, whereas flow, you're absorbed in an activity. Mm-hmm. There's so a physical there's, element there's a to flow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's and it's generally more external. But I wouldn't be surprised if when we're doing mindful meditation, we're in a state of flow doing that. So it's almost like maybe that's a subset of flow in, in a way. Yeah, and, I, and I'm curious too, because I know, you know, I was an athlete as, uh, as a, mm. a kid, um, and I was completely obsessed with ice hockey growing up in Minnesota. Um, ah. and I know you, you were a, you know, basically a world-class, uh, a water polo player to me. Mm-hmm. That's, um, when I think back of what people describe as flow, I think of some of the times when I was playing ice hockey, when I, you know, when I was a, a pretty good player and it was all, uh, not, nothing else mattered. And there, there was a crowd in, in, you yeah. know, the, for high school hockey and you couldn't hear anybody. And yeah, is right. that, is that kind of what you're talking about with flow? Absolutely. That's, that's been my, uh, 
one of my greatest joy, most joyful connections with flow is that. And it's, you're just totally absorbed and totally focused to the point where one of the things that I, I've noticed it, cause I still play on, on the master's level mm-hmm. is when I'm thinking about the score or I want to win or I hope we win, I'm not in the game. The only thing that if, if I'm thinking of any of that or any external things and I'm not in the game, the, it, I always have to bring myself back to the very fundamental, just play my best, just focus, be absorbed, play my best. And, and, and then that makes it possible to have, to have the best chance of winning. And it feels really wonderful during and afterwards. But anytime if I'm distracted or wanting to know what the score is or what, you know, anything external, it takes me out of it. And it's no fun either. It takes the fun out of it. You know, and, and, you know, and I, I've thought about this too, in the sense of, I've thought about this in the sense, I've been thinking about happiness a lot lately, um, just in the context of, you know, we, we talk about a lot of wealth stuff, but you know, happiness is such an important part when you reach this, that I, I was trying to distinguish in my own head, the happiest times in my life compared to, you know, just where I am every day now, which is not bad, but the happiest times of my life were when I was a kid, just out mm. playing, just playing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's almost to me, it's almost like, okay, what's the biggest difference between you now as an adult and a serious adult and you as a happy go lucky kid? And the answer may very well be flow. The answer may mm-hmm. be that every day that I was out on recess and every day I was playing with friends, that was an exposure to this uh, constantly. What do you what do you think of that? Am I uh, am I full of it? <laughs> no, I think you're right on the money with that. Right. Because I, I think as, as grownups, uh, we have so many different things on our mind. You know, financial things, or you know, how are our kids doing, or what are you know what appointments are happening. All those things are necessary, but they're, they take us out. They're not absorbing. They're not creative. They're not, they're not processes. We dive all the way in. There are things that it's almost like we have this little calendar with, with data points that we're referring to. It's almost probably like when I talk about checking the score during mm-hmm. a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think those take us out of it. And so I, I think the more you can sort of put those on a shelf when you're in a creative place and, and allow yourself total absorption, that's when we get to feel that, that sense of play and joy like we did when we were kids. The, and it's not just that moment either. I mean, it's sort of, no. it's sort of exercising a muscle, right? That mm-hmm. maybe as, as adults, uh, it's not uncommon for us to, to let atrophy with the, you know, with the monotonous things that we have to do to support ourselves and, and oh, responsibility. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We, we get good at whatever we practice. So if we're practicing, uh, worrying and, and, and dwelling on things all the time, then we get really good at it and we spend most of our time doing that. And one of the things that really helps me 
and, and that I've noticed has been helpful for my clients and people I work with is separating out what we can control from what we can't control. Mm-hmm. It's an old stoic you know, principle, but it really, whenever we're worrying about something, it's almost guaranteed we're thinking about something we don't have control over. And as parents, we're sort of stuck with it because uh, our kids have our pain receptors on their bodies. So <laughs> we, but we can't control them. So there's going to be a certain amount of worry when you have kids, it's going to come in, but to remind yourself, you know, I don't have control over that. That's one of the things that can help you come back to, okay, what do I have control over? And those are the things we can really dive in and get into that state of flow about. One of the, one of the other things that I was thinking about regard to flow. And I wonder if this is at least a part of what you do with your clients is, you know, take a guy like me who was a ice hockey player, and that was really where I found my flow. Mm-hmm. I also found flow, by the way, it, when I was operating. Um, yeah. I didn't really pract- like practicing medicine anymore, but I did like operating. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds uh, terrible, yeah. and you're, you'll hear that from a lot of surgeons. I'm just being honest. But the, mm-hmm. <laughs> but the truth of the matter mm-hmm. is that that was something that I really, when I was doing it, would give me this sensation. Okay, now I'm a retired surgeon. I've had back surgery four times, and I'm not really in shape. I can't really play hockey anymore. In some respects, yeah. do, you, do you feel like when people get into these situations, they have to figure out, okay, well, where can I find my flow now? and, and start yeah. going out and trying to discover new things. Yeah, Ab- absolutely. And the interesting thing is I was just reading something the other day about how, uh, really elite athletes in that state of flow, their eyes have a certain quality to them where they focus a little more before and after uh, an event, a shot or something than somebody that's not, so good. And so that, that focus, and they've also found that with surgeons. Mm-hmm. So the chances are you're feeling the same quality while you're doing surgery as you were playing hockey, very different circumstances. Right. But I would say, yeah, it's very important to find something where you can have that kind of intensity. That's one of the reasons I still play water polo is, is, it just feels so good to be yeah. all in with that. And even though it's slower at, at 60, you know, it's a much slower game than at 20. Yeah. It feels the same and there's the same intensity of it. Uh, I want to ask you one more question because, you know, at the end of the day, this is, um, you know, we, this is a personal finance show as well. And just to shift a little bit um, in, on the topic of money, um, is, is personal finance, um, can money buy you happiness? And if so, mm. how much money do you need? A hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. So that was, there was a Princeton great. study on this, I believe, right? Something. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And, what, and what was the gist of it? So I think it depends on, on where, where you live, you know, but <laughs> basically the, the biggest return for happiness is when you have your basic needs met. Yeah. So you have food, shelter, clothing, you know, and you're not, you're not in a state of anxiety over, or, or you can be able to make your rent or something. So once you've established that, that's the, that's the biggest increase in happiness. But 
and a lot of people will say, well, then that's all you need and that's that. But it also grows as you, as you earn more money, depending on what you do. I think at that point, all the different factors come in. So like, are you making more money at something you hate? Well, that's, that's not a good trade. But are you making more money and you love your work? That's going to have a more of a synergistic effect. And so beyond your, your fundamental needs, then the other questions really matter. Uh, right. But it does, it does make a difference, particularly with, I mean, when you get beneath that level, the, that's when it really hits our survival level. Right. And it's, it's scary. Yeah. So the interesting thing, so I think this was, and it's a good point that you bring up that it probably should be, uh, uh, based on where you live too, like in yeah. Southern California versus, you know, uh, Mississippi right. or Alabama, you're, you know, if you're, I think the Princeton study cited a, you know, no significant increase after $75,000, but you know, in, right. in, in San Francisco, you'll be living in the, below the poverty line. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. Well, listen, um, yeah. I want to know a little bit about your programs. Tell us about your programs. And I know you have a podcast too, which unfortunately I haven't had a chance to listen to, but you were you know, recommended by a friend of mine uh, who's a listener uh-huh. of this show as well. So tell us about your podcast. Tell us about, you know, all your programs. Yeah. So my podcast is the Ma- the Mastering Happiness podcast. And where I talk about things like we're talking about today, uh, but more focused, you know, the, 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 I, each one has a theme. I have a book, The Virtue of Happiness, is my most recent book and mastering happiness is a little earlier. Uh, I work with people as a life coach around the world via phone and Skype. And I work with businesses, helping them bring the principles of positive psychology and, and uh, effective culture building um, into their businesses and helping them really make that work. Um, and a lot of it has to do with, with having very clear principles rather than something abstract on the wall as a mission statement or something. Mm-hmm. So those are, those are my main focuses of my work today. And where, um, and tell us about the coaching program. Ah, so I, I work with people around uh, lots of different issues. My background is as a marriage and family therapist. I'm still licensed, but mostly what I do is coaching nowadays. So I work, I do couples coaching. I work with people around uh, work success or in, I work with elite athletes to hone their skills and their mental skills. And, and just anybody that wants to feel more happiness and, and more success in their lives. And it takes lots of different forms. I've, I've had the honor of working with a lot of different people around different things. And one of the things that I love is what I get to do when I work with people is see a part of uh, people that's really heroic that a lot of people don't get to see. And that's, that's what's really um, sort of profound for me is the, the unseen heroism and, and, you know, courage that we bring that maybe it's around things we don't even talk about with people. Got it. So, and and yeah. if somebody might be interested in your coaching, how can they find out about this or website? Yeah, my website is uh, drjoelwade.com, com, And all my contact information there is there. And there's a little uh, thing you can write if you're interested in coaching. 
Uh, I offer a, a free conversation by phone to see if it's a good fit. Um, I don't like to charge people if I'm not the one to help them. And, uh, and so everything, you can find that all on my website. Fantastic. Joel, so thank you so much for your time and for being on Wealth Formula Podcast today. Uh, my pleasure. This is a lot of fun. Be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, I, again, take this topic of happiness very seriously because I consider it a component of wealth. I don't think of it as something that's separate. I think of it as, you know, ultimately, it's just an asset. It's the ultimate asset that we should we should, and ultimately, most of us are after. We, we think about retirement. We think about having a lot of money. But what is it all for? It's, you know, hopefully to make us happier than we are now, right? Uh, anyway, uh, hopefully you will, um, hopefully you'll join me on this journey. Now, you know, we do have this Wealth Formula meetup coming up April 24th and 25th in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And if you're interested, you should join soon. It's filling up pretty quickly. Wealthformulaevents.com. Make sure you go to that. But, um, you know, so there's going to be a lot of speakers there, including, you know, some of the usual uh, guys like um, uh, Tom Wheelwright uh, and Doug Lodmel and Dave Steele. We also got Richard Wilson from the Family Office Club. We've got an oil and gas speaker. And, of course, Ken McElroy, who's a, a big favorite Rich Dad advisor. Uh, I will be doing a talk, too. And this time I'm not going to talk about money, but I'm going to tell you what I've figured out about the whole happiness thing for my research as well. So hopefully that'll be worth it too. That'll be a little bit different part of that meeting. But uh, that's part of my hindsight 2020, which is the theme of uh, this meeting, which is what I've realized over the last you know, couple decades in this quest for wealth, et cetera. Anyway, check it out. Hope to see you out in Phoenix, April 24th, 25th, wealthformulaevents.com. That's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. I apologize for the cold I have in this introduction and outro. Uh, see you back next week. Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.